Open with me to Psalm 83. Psalm 83. Continuing through the study in the Psalms, we see we're in the section here where many of the Psalms are attributed to Asaph. Uh, We're going to have one of David's Psalms tonight also. So we get a little flavor uh, from a couple of different angles. But as is David's psalm tonight, this is a prayer, Psalm 83. A prayer for God's help when they've been come against by various enemies. And, you know, we've had this theme throughout the psalms in many places where you know, the, the psalmist is, is just relating the heart of the people to God for, um, just for deliverance from the enemies that continually come against Israel. And, you know, think about it, and things haven't changed much in, uh, in four or 5,000 years. And Israel is still uh, viewed in that same vein by a lot of their surrounding neighbors, most of them. So, several of Israel's neighbors are listed in this psalm, and uh, the interpretations could be that they, they represent the actual nations that, that are listed here, or they, they just are symbolic of any of the enemies that come against God's people. And if we take it in that light, and we want to always make application, we can make application to us because as Christians, we may be hated just because we are Christians. People may come against us because we are God's people. And so Israel was constantly feeling that same thing from its surrounding neighbors in in the region. And we can sometimes have that same thing going on in our lives. You know, Jesus said, remember in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So they hate Jesus and they hate us just because we're, we're followers of Christ. So we're going to jump in here and see what, uh, see what the psalm has for us in verses uh, 1 through 4. A song, a psalm of Asaph. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Think about that in today's, uh, in the context of, the, of today, where many of Israel's neighbors want them wiped off the map. As a matter of fact, Some of them in their schools don't even have Israel on the map when they teach their youngsters the the geography of the region. So, you know, things, again, haven't changed. You know, that verse 4, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. They did that with Israel for for a thousand years. And then in, in, um, in 1948, they became a nation again. So, 
you know, they cut them off, but they're God's chosen. And they will never be forsaken by God. So no matter what the nations do, no matter what the enemies of Israel continue to do, they will always be God's chosen. These verses, 1 through 4, are a plea for help. You know, crying out to God, the psalmist is, for him to answer. He says, do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still. You know, the, the psalmist here even is, is contrasting the sense that man is loud and boisterous and, and God is silent. God is silent. The enemies that come against us may be loud and sometimes we, we, we listen and we don't hear anything from God. We think that he's forgotten us. Uh, think about the historical con- context there in Chronicles, Second Chronicles 20, that records these events, that all of the nations were coming against Israel. In verses 5 through 8, it says, For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a cons- confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot, Selah. So the psalmist here pauses to reflect on the fact that the nations that surround Israel have all come against them. And over various times, over over a stretch of years, most of these nations have come against Israel. And they continue to today, the ones that still exist. But notice what the psalmist does here. He relates the enemies of Israel with the enemies of God. It says there in verse 5, they form a confederacy against you, God. So notice how the psalmist does that. See, they're not really going against Israel. They're going against God. And that's the same for us. When people come against us because we're believers, because we're followers of Christ, they're really not coming against us. They're really going against the God that we follow. They're going against Jesus. You know, it reminds me of Matthew, where whatever we do to, it says, whatever we do to the least of these, my my brethren, you've done it to me. For Jesus, the good that we do for others, we do for Jesus. But on the other hand, what we don't do for others, we also don't do for Jesus. So that's a reflection from our side on that, that connection that we have with our Savior. And for our enemies, the ones who come against us also go against our Savior. Verses 9 through 15, we continue, deal with them. The prayer is, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as a refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, yes, all their princes like Zaba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for possession. O my God, make them like a whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind. 
as the fire burns the woods and as the flame sets the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. So the, again, the nations that are listed here coming against Israel, taking, plundering the goods from Israel, taking their land, and the plea here for justice by the psalmist. They crying out to God. You know, and then, and then seeking the Lord to avenge himself. And the psalmist here isn't seeking vengeance uh, for, for him, but, but for God to avenge his name in the world, for the people that are coming against God, so that God would seek to avenge those who go against him. And then finishing up in verses 16 through 18, the psalmist says, Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. Now here the psalmist is saying, bring them to a place of shame, God, so that their dependence on themselves will be brought to shame. And you know, we all needed to come to that place. Think about it. You know, before we received the Lord, we had to come to a place where we understood that we couldn't do it ourselves. We had to come to a place of dependence on God and not on us. And what happens when we get to that is that we get to acknowledge that He is sovereign. In verse 18, it says, that they may know, see the result of humbling ourselves and the result of the, the psalmist asking for God to humble the nations is that so they will see that God is sovereign and so that we see that. So we humble ourselves. We depend on Him. We put Him in His rightful place so that we will acknowledge that He is Lord over everything. And well, that's a good place to be. You know, sometimes we think of shame. Everyone wants to avoid shame. And yet, sometimes shame or humility bring us to a place where we see God, uh, you know, how He really is. And we see our, our frailties. And so we can, we can really trust in Him. Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is a psalm of ascent. It represents the journey that the pilgrims of Israel take when they go up to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. So you're always going up to Jerusalem. So it's, a, it's called a psalm of ascent because it's climbing or, or rising or ascending to the holy city of Jerusalem. And we can relate, again, to make application for us, we can relate to the times that we gather together here. You know, think about tonight, you came out in the, in the nasty weather, and, and you, why? To be together, to fellowship with one another, to hear the word of the Lord, to worship Him. And so, and so this, is, this psalm relates to the times where the people would go up to Jerusalem and celebrate the feasts, and the joy that gathering together would bring them. You know, think, I think back of, of just this past Sunday when you know, a couple people came up to receive the Lord, how much joy there is in that. 
and gathering together in this place and, and just seeing the Word touch people's hearts. And, and we should celebrate. We should celebrate getting together. The main focus, though, always of our gathering is to come into God's presence and worship Him and, and learn about Him. So, again, this psalm uh, reflects those, the, the sense of that. In verses 1 through 4, the psalmist says, To the chief musician on an instrument of gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will be praising you. Selah. So here the psalmist speaking of God's dwelling place and saying, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord. But what makes it lovely? You know, if we think about this is a, a beautiful building, we're blessed to have it, but it would basically just be a, a social club if it wasn't for the Lord being in this place. What makes this place so lovely is that He is lovely. What makes the gathering places of the people of God beautiful is that He is beautiful. And we always need to remember that. God's dwelling place is lovely because He is lovely. You know, the Old Testament believers, they would come to the tabernacle or, or the temple, and that was the place where they met God. And that's what we should think about when we come together, when we gather together. It's a place that we can come as a congregation and meet the Lord and cry out to Him. And when we can gather in fellowship and we can corporately worship Him, a place where we can get together and we can pray for one another. You know, and, and we're blessed. We're blessed because we seek Him. It says in, in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. It says in verse 4 of the psalm there, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. We are blessed to be able to come and worship Him. And then verses 5 through 8, more blessings that the, that the psalmist speaks of. He says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on, on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. So here, the psalmist is speaking of the blessedness that putting all of our energies into worship brings. You know, blessings don't come to those who sort of half-heartedly worship the Lord. And it's not just worshiping in song, but who come in sort of half-heartedly to the place of God. You know, not expecting that God is going to do marvelous things. You know, not expecting that, that through the Word and by the Holy Spirit, people's lives will be changed. 
You know, when we come together and gather, we should expect that God's going to do wonderful things in our presence. And if you come in expecting that and, and putting, put all of your energies into the, t- the worship time that we have together, you will be blessed. You'll receive so much more out of it. We receive a greater blessing when we come into church just eager to be part of the, the activities that go on here. And the blessings just that pour out from that. And then in verses 9 through 12, the psalmist says, O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. So the psalmist here continues to just express the blessings that come from a relationship with God. And he's also seeking the Lord to bless the king. You know, we pray many times for our leaders. And the psalmist here is praying for God's anointed, speaking of those in leadership in the nation. You know, think about if God shed his blessings upon the rulers of this nation, that we as the citizens would also partake of those blessings. Imagine living in a country where the leaders all trusted in God. You know, and then how much more blessed we would be living in in a country like that. We pray for that. You know, we pray for for the leaders to get saved. We pray for them to look to the Lord. We pray for our leaders to trust in God and to and to rule righteously. So all of those things that we pray for, the psalmist is praying for also, to look upon the face of your anointed. Remember, uh, all of our leaders, God has anointed and allowed to be in that position. So we, we should continue to pray for them. And then in Psalm 85, Psalm 85 uh, takes us on a journey as many Psalms do, this is a journey of past, present, and future. Verses 1 through 3 speak of God's past mercies to the nation. Verses 4 through 7 of God's present anger with the people because of their sin. And 8 through 13 of the psalmist's trust in God for future restoration. So we can, we can look at those times in our lives as we make application with these psalms, where we, we are in different places with the Lord. You know, we can look back and we can see those times where He's brought us through circumstances and situations in our life. We can look back and see how His hand was upon us. We look back maybe and see how He brought us to that place of salvation. You know, and we, we rejoice in those things. We remember those past blessings, each of the scenes in our life. And then we think about those times where, you know, at the present time, we're going through struggles 
Or maybe we're in a time of persistent sin and we feel far from God. And so the psalmist also relates that. And then looking forward, always looking forward, looking ahead to God just restoring us back into that fellowship. A time where we can look at what he's going to do in the future and, and just be excited about, about what God's going to do moving forward. So all of those different scenes in the psalmist's life, we can relate to ourselves too. And that God is faithful. He's faithful to the end. You know, we think about past blessings, His grace and His mercy. We think about, you know, present troubles that we might be in. But we also think about that, it, like it says in, this, in the Scriptures, He who has begun a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore He is also able to save to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, Jesus, since he always lives to make an intercession for them. So Jesus is our advocate before the Father, and he'll save us completely. So we don't have to add anything to what Jesus has already done. So jumping into Psalm 85 in verses 1 through 3, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin, Selah. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. So here we see the psalmist remembering those times where God has taken him through difficulty, and forgiven of past iniquities. You know, we can think back and, and remember those same things. You know, God's faithfulness and his past blessings and how he sustained us through the difficult times. And, you know, we really need to remember the past forgiveness and mercy so that we don't get stuck in condemnation. You know, and that, that can really paralyze us from doing anything for the Lord. You know, it says in Romans that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we continue to sin. And yes, we need to seek forgiveness and repentance. But that's different than condemnation. Condemnation is from the enemy. You know, God forgives. So we need to, we need to remember those things. Remember the past blessings of God. And then he says in verses 4 through 7, Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. So here he's identifying the present uh, time that he has with the Lord. God's dealing with the people because of their sin. And, you know, we're going to live the consequences of our sin. There's no doubt about that. And I don't know about you, but when that happens, I feel, not only do I feel far from, from God, but sometimes feel that his anger will never end. 
You know, and, and the psalmist is saying the same thing. He's saying, uh, you know, will, your anger, will you be angry with us forever, God? What a, what a difficult question to ask the Lord. But when we're in the midst of that sin, sometimes, and the, and the, and the consequences of, of our sin, sometimes it feels like that. So we pray for res restoration. Why? So that we can again rejoice in God. So that we can again re restore that fellowship with Him. And so that we can tell others of His goodness. Think about it. It's not that easy to tell others about God's goodness when He's chastising us. You know, when He's disciplining us because of, of, of sin. So it sort of it sort of stops that, that time where we can tell people how good God is because we're in a place where we're suffering the consequences of our sins. So we want to get past that. So this is the present time that the psalmist is talking about, you know, when he's, when he's living the consequences of those sins and, and where he's sort of at a place where he really can't express, you know, God's grace and his mercy. So then in verses 8 through 13, we look to the future. And he says, I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. So here, the psalmist is bringing his prayer to the Lord. But think about it, in our, in our case too, as we bring our prayers to him, as we bring our petitions to him, to him, we also need to wait to hear from him. So the psalmist is saying, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Why? Because he speaks to us in various ways. How does he speak to us? He speaks through his word. You know, as we study, as we read, as we sit under the teaching of his word, how many times just that, that he's speaking to us individually, where we're at. And then he speaks to us by his wisdom and working in our lives. As we see God working in our lives, as we see us growing in that relationship, you know, we, we understand that that's how God answers us. That's how He speaks to us. And then He also speaks within our own souls. You know, that, that, that something inside that we know that it's of the Lord. And then, Many times we pray, God, give me a peace, right, about a decision. Give me a peace about what path that I'm taking, the direction that I'm going down. And it says here that, uh, that we should have peace. We should have peace. He will speak peace to his people. How awesome is that? You know, as we seek the Lord for direction, for guidance, for wisdom, his answer should bring us to a place of peace in our hearts. When we, when we know we've heard from Him, you know, think about when you're really, really sure that you've heard from God, 
when you're walking in a way that's pleasing to him and you're going down the path that you know he wants for you. What a peace in your life. You know, you know it's of God. And so, and so that's what he brings. He speaks words of peace. And then in verse 10, I love this. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Think about your salvation in that. Mercy is the promise of God's grace to us. Truth is the recognition that we can have a, rec- uh, a relationship with Him. And then righteousness, think about righteousness in our salvation. That's the manner in which He saves. It's, it's a righteous salvation. God is always righteous. And then what is the result? Peace. Peace with God. You know, peace from God, but certainly peace. We're at peace. We're no longer enemies of God when we, when we come to that place that we acknowledge Him as our Savior. So a great psalm, Psalm 85, just a really beautiful psalm that speaks to each and every one of us. And then moving on to Psalm 86. This is David's prayer. This is really, I think, the only psalm that's, that's titled as a prayer of David. You know, many, many of David's psalms were prayers, but this one's actually titled uh, Prayer of David. And included in this prayer is also praise and requests to God. So this can be standard for our prayers. You know, seeking the Lord to attend to our needs, definitely. But also praising Him you know, for, for his awesome power and praising him that we can even come to him, you know, and, uh, and then, you know, letting our requests be known to him, you know. So uh, it's a plea also for God's attention and deliverance for the, psalm, for the psalmist and for us. So jumping in, we read uh, verses 1 through 7, a prayer of David. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry out to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. So here in verses 1 and 2, David expresses his need for the Lord and yet recognizes that by God's grace, he is seen as holy. Now, what does that mean? Well, of course, we need the Lord. We ask for him to, to bow his ear down to us to hear our pleas. You know, and he says there, I am poor, poor, poor in spirit and needy for the Lord, but also holy. Holy means to be set apart. The psalmist is saying here, I am set apart to you, Lord. He says, you are my God. We need to come to a place where we recognize He is our God, that we are set apart, we're separated from the things of the world. And that's what holy means. You know, he wasn't 
bragging on himself. He was basically saying, Lord, you are my God. I am separated from the world unto you. I give you priority in my life. And so we, we, can, we can be holy, we can be separated from God by putting him first in our lives and always seeking to live according to his word and not by the things of the world. And then David in verses 3 through 5 is praying for mercy. And, you know, we, we can pray for that you know, if we're going through difficulties. He is also declaring God's faithfulness and his desire to forgive. You know, when we come in humility and ask God to forgive us of our, of our sins, he, he'll, he'll forgive us. He desires to do that. And then the confidence that he'll answer us in verse 7. And, and we always need to believe. You know, we come in prayer believing that he'll answer us. We come in prayer believing that he wants the best for us. So we have to always come in faith. And then in verses 8 through 13, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered me, my soul, from the depths of Sheol. Praise, praise, praise in these verses for the Lord. You know, wondrous are your works. You know, you're great and you do wondrous things. Um, you know, and then, and then asking the Lord to just teach him. You know, that, how awesome is that? That by his word, by his spirit, he can teach us those things. So, you know, th think about the the place where David found himself, surrounded by pagan nations who worshipped false gods. And so he was contrasting the false gods with the one true God. You know, people are going to worship something. So we need to give a testimony to others about what God is doing in our lives. And that's the real test of a true God, is that he's working in your lives your lives are being changed. You're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the test of a false gods against the one and true living God. And then he's seeking the Lord's wisdom. You know, in verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to feel, fear your name. You know, we were talking before the service about that verse, unite my heart with yours. Make me understand where your heart is, God. Make me, make my thoughts your thoughts about these things. You know, may I not be influenced by the things of the world, but may I start to be in line with your will, with your ways. And we were talking, and, and when we close in worship, you're going to, you're going to hear this, this same type of theme in the song that, that the team is going to sing. But in, a, in another song, uh, in a Matthew West song, 
my own little world. It's basically a song that's, that's a prayer for him to get out of looking at himself and to start to look at the Lord and to stop looking at his own little world and start to see things the way God sees them. So the bridge in that song says, start breaking my heart for what breaks yours. Give me open hands and open doors. Put your light in my eyes and let me see that my own little world is not about me. So this is what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying here, teach me your way and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. So that, that can be a prayer for each of us. God, knit my heart together with yours that I may see things the way you see things. And that's, we should be constantly seeking that in prayer. And then finishing up in the psalm, O God, the proud have risen up against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are, are a God of full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So hear David's prayer for deliverance, that, that even though he's going through difficult times, David is acknowledging that God hasn't forgotten. God, God hasn't forgotten. And he hasn't forgotten who God is. You know how sometimes we go through difficult times and we kind of forget God's goodness. We kind of forget the character of God because we're really, we're just going through a difficulty. We should never let, the lesson in this psalm here is never to let our circumstances dictate our view of God. That's something we always want to, we always want to be careful of. You know, God never changes. He's always compassionate, gracious, long-suffering, merciful, and truthful. You know, the, all the things all the attributes of God that the psalmist mentions, those never change, no matter what our circumstances are. So don't let that cloud your view of God. And so um, we, we're just going to quickly go through Psalm 87. It's only seven verses. So it's basically one basic theme about the love that God has for his chosen city, Jerusalem, and the glories that will be revealed in the, in the messianic kingdom. You know, it says in Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we see eternity take shape in those verses. And this psalm is speaking of God's love for Jerusalem. Um, we'll read right through it. A psalm of the sons, sons of Korah, a song. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. 
I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre, with Ethiopia. This one was born there, and of Zion it will be said, This one and that one were born in her. And the Most High, God, and the Most High Himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when He registers the peoples, This one was born there, Selah. Both the singers and the players on instruments say, All my springs are in you. So, just a poetic way of, of the psalmist expressing God's love for Jerusalem. Although there were many other cities in Israel, God chose Jerusalem to be the one where, where spiritual significance was present, where the dwelling place of God was going to be forever, and where God's people would meet for worship. You know, and you know, I love when he says here that, that uh, this one and that one were born in her, and the Lord will record when he registers the peoples, this one was born there. You know, so that it was significant to the Lord for, you know, for someone to be born in Jerusalem. So his love for Jerusalem uh, and just a picture of, of eternity, you know, when the new Jerusalem comes down and when all believers will be in that place of worship all the time. You know, something to really look forward to, something to really uh, consider ourselves blessed to be a part of. And, um, and pray that that day may come soon. So uh, why don't we close in prayer and in worship tonight. Father, we do thank you.